Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Tonight, I'm going to talk about understanding uh, our defensiveness or faults uh, or protection when we face difficult emotions or situations and how to work with them. This is uh, maybe your experience in meditation you face difficult situations. Raise your hand if you don't face difficult situations. Wow, there's no one. <laughs> so we are all sailing in the same boat. So this is not something new to you. The protection we have when we face difficult situations in life. I'm going to refer to a discourse in the Buddha's teaching, it's called it's the, the the discourse is called World Cult. A cult. Uh, it's a young male horse, under four years old. So, this beautiful discourse talks about eight kinds of faults of a person. But in modern psychology, they refer to this as defense mechanism. In a case it's unconscious, they call it defense mechanisms. And if it's conscious uh, behavior to block off or protect oneself, this is called defensiveness. So this is very, very interesting to see how we build walls around ourselves and how difficult it is to uh, break through, penetrate these walls. Recently, I was walking along this road and I saw turkeys. There were so many crossing the road. <laughs> so beautiful. And I saw one yogi also admiring them. <laughs> I mean, they were just so beautiful. And then they tried to cross the road, and I, I, I was standing still, so I didn't want to scare them. And it's amazing, all of them except one entered the fence. The other one could not see how to go through the fence. It started, it started running back and forth, very restless. I said, wow, this is how also we human beings we, we build fences around ourselves, but of course, turkeys didn't build these, didn't build these fences. <laughs> but one turkey was so restless, and I, was, I stood there and watching it, it could not see a way how to go through the fence. So the, we can say all the turkeys, the, uh, the, the, the majority of the turkeys were mindful. They saw how. This one wasn't mindful. It kept on going in barbed wires and then coming back and 
I mean, the other ones were not making noise. And it was not getting through. So it was not mindful. So human beings, as I think also, we may not see our walls that we build around ourselves and we stay in circles. That's the bad news. The good news is that 2,600 years ago, the Buddha knew how to get out of our fences. This is a very beautiful discourse. So we are going through we are going to go through this discourse slowly by slowly. I hope we have enough time. From my experience, uh, if I told this story, please for, uh, don't mind. The Buddha kept on repeating, repeating himself also. In fact, he taught four things for 45 years. Four things. <laughs> I'm confident <laughs> I cannot keep on repeating myself. You know, you know the four things the Buddha taught for all this time? Suffering, the end of suffering, happiness, which is ultimate happiness, and the way to ultimate happiness. He kept on teaching this and this all the time, rotating around that, directly or indirectly. He was teaching about that. So I'm going to repeat this story. In case you've heard it, never mind. Okay. I was in Uganda. Uh, eight years ago, there's a very good uh, person who came to the temple. And then uh, he started to be a caretaker of the temple, cleaning the temple. Very good heart. And uh, I think this is now 10 years with me. He looks, he looks after me, offer food to me. Wonderful. I've never had a problem with him. One time I was in the capital city of Uganda, Kampala. He called me. He said, Bante, I'm going to leave your temple. I said, why? We've been together all this time. Why are you going? Why are you going? He said, Bante, I'm very, very angry with your cousin. Your cousin? Has called, uh, came to the temple, and we had an argument. And he told me that he he told me that I'm a dog. And then he told me that Bante, I don't have a problem with you, but I have a problem with your cousin, and I'm leaving the temple. I said, Why? He kept on saying he told me I'm a dog, and uh, he kept on repeating I'm a dog, I'm a dog. I asked him, wait a little bit, wait a little bit. I have one question. Are you a dog? <laughs> he said, no, I'm not a dog. And then I said, why are you going? Dogs will go. <laughs> you are not a dog. Next time this happened, I have another question to ask him before he leaves. I'll ask him, please look behind if you say tail. <laughs> If you can say tail, then you confirm that you're a dog, then you can go. But you don't have a tail, a tail, you know, so you're not a dog. <laughs> so this is a very, very interesting mechanism. It's called physical isolation. Physical isolation. When we cannot handle situations in our life, we may physically isol iso isolate ourselves from difficulties. Of course, I'm not saying go, go through danger and uh, 
but these are psychological ways we tend to, we tend to deal with the difficult situations. Maybe on a retreat setting here, you have a lot of pain. Uh, maybe you're missing music, chocolate, uh, ice cream. Maybe you might think of physically isolating yourself and going home and start to have your good music, good chocolate. Yes, I was a manager, a retreat manager in Bavana Society, West Virginia. Somebody wrote me a note. Bante, I, I don't set television here. <laughs> There's no ice cream in the monastery. I'm going to go. I think maybe this person has never been to a monastery. Maybe they had expectations, seeing the news, you know, new, current news. And I think this person was starving, you know, and wanted to leave the monastery. So now let's start with some of the language uh, modern psychologists uh, use for this defense mechanism uh, or this defensiveness. I've written them here. They use language like this. They talk about uh, repression. They talk about aggression, uh, projection, regression, compensation, denial, mental isolation, physical isolation. This is what we found out in modern psychologists. I met one in Australia. He was a professor in Monash University in Melbourne. He's a good friend. And he talks about this terminology, terminologies, and uh, wrote a book about it. And uh, of course, uh, this is what we found out in the modern world. What's very interesting, the Buddha, 2,600 years, was talking about the same thing, not the same language, but giving the explanation, the same explanation of this mechanism of defensiveness. So we're going to start with uh, repression. We reject. We are going to use the discourse itself. I think we better even start with the discourse. It's called uh, wild cults. Hmm? Cults, I told you what it is. So the first one, uh, I'm just reading from the word of the Buddha. And what bhikkhus are the eight kinds of persons who are like wild cults and the eight faults of a person. So he starts explaining. Here, when the bhikkhus are reproving a bhikkhu for an offense, he exonerates himself by reason of lack of memory, saying, I don't remember. I don't remember committing such an offense. I say this person is similar to the wild, wild cult that when told go forward and when spurred and incited by its trainer backs up and spins the chariot around behind him behind it. There is such a kind of or kind of person here like a wild cult. This is the first fault of a person. So the Buddha was using the word fault uh, instead of uh, defensiveness or defense mechanism. 
So uh, this is what the Buddha say, the, the first uh, way uh, uh, this bhikkhu is defending uh, himself. So maybe I'm, I should explain what an offense is. In monastic tradition, we keep rules, many rules. We, uh, we keep uh, 227 rules for, for monks, uh, nuns even they keep more. And uh, when you transgress some of these uh, some rules, there are some for the first four rules you are you cease to be a monk. Then the next 13 rules, uh, then you can actually make amends, but you need a quorum of 20 monks. And uh, you actually uh, have to, uh, to, to confess. And uh, there's other offenses where it requires to just one-to-one -one, uh, with your fellow monastic. Others, it's just training rules. Others, just part of the uh, discipline. Uh, so there are various offenses. But this seems to be uh, the one where one-to-one. One monk maybe uh, observed that he has uh, transgressed a certain um, moral conduct. And then uh, here the bhikkhu is saying, oh, you know, I don't remember. In modern psychology, they call it repression. You suppress it. Uh, this may be uh, in the, this retreat, maybe when you have maybe pain, it's so difficult, you can't face it. You may just actually forget about it. You try to forget it. But is forgetting about pain going to solve the problem? No. <laughs> so it's not going to solve the problem. So we need to be realistic and we have to apply mindfulness. If it's physical pain or uh, uh, emotional pain, we have to practice mindfulness. We have to be also aware and understanding that we are actually trying to uh, repress it, uh, suppress it, which is consciously doing it actually. Uh, repression is more of unconscious. That's why we don't know. Uh, but suppression is actually consciously trying to push away things that you don't want, Bot bottling them. Mm -hmm. So, uh, in your meditation, maybe you have experienced those situations where you remember difficult memories in your childhood and you try to uh, really suppress them and you don't want to face it. Of course, the good thing about mindfulness is that uh, uh, its function is non-forgetfulness. While, 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 while repression is actually trying to forget, you know, but with mindfulness is the opposite. The function of mindfulness is is to guard, of course, the mind from difficult uh, mental defilements, uh, from defilements. But also, it has this function of non-forgetfulness. So, if you let's say arouse, um, practice mindfulness, you will be more aware of this defensiveness, this. Uh, uh, protection uh, that you're trying to put on. And then you, sh you should be able to really uh, uh, address the issue at hand 
whether it's emotional pain or a physical pain. Uh, Sally yesterday gave a talk on mindfulness of mind states. A wonderful talk. It's amazing. So uh, you have just to remember what she talked about. And all of us teachers here, we've been giving uh, different techniques on how to deal with the uh, and uh, with difficult thing, uh, situations. Maybe it's a yogi job. Mm? Very difficult. So what do you do? Maybe it's, it brings a lot of anger mm? because you're working with somebody who's working too fast and you cannot speak. Then there's that kind of frustration. You get frustrated. You cannot talk. Usually these things happen when you really cannot really come out of the situation easily. So then we can uh, easily get a protection and just suppress things. But uh, I think there should be a way how we can deal with these situations instead of suppressing or depression uh, what to call repressing it we find some ways of doing this so now here's a question most of the people say you buddhist you meditators you don't talk about expressing anger you don't talk about suppressing anger you don't talk about repressing it what do you do the answer is we're trying to dissolve it's about dissolving. It's not about suppression. It's not about expressing. It's not about repressing. It's about dissolving. Dissolving, I use always analogy of, uh, let's say this is ice. This is a piece of ice. There's a way how to really make it disappear. Either we can do like this. Heat it. Hmm? Not the clock. I'm saying this is a piece of ice. We can heat it like this and smash it and all pieces go this way. Still you will see pieces, you know, and you use a lot of energy to hammer it. But somebody who has some kind of knowledge and wisdom can say, oh, wait a minute. This piece of ice uh, got into this state because of temperature. It was put in a refrigerator and then it, it solidified. So how about putting it in temperatures lower than the ice? So then you bring it out from the refrigerator and put it out there and leave it there. So then the causes and condition for the arising of the, uh, this ice is the temperature hmm? was cold so you do you put it in opposite temperature and then what it does what does it do it starts melting you dissolve it so most of the difficult situation we get into it's because we are not mindful 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 and understanding so when we have a situation and you put it in front of mindfulness and understanding it dissolves. So most of the difficult situation we go through, I'm talking about right mindfulness, which includes efforts, 
James talked about this already, which includes understanding, full understanding, which includes mindfulness itself. It includes all many, many mental factors. Most of the time I tell people, oh, please, practice mindfulness to overcome anger. They say, no, no, how can mindfulness help me to overcome anger? They think that they need something extra. <laughs> so actually, mindfulness is very powerful. I use this analogy of ice to uh, really to remind you that actually uh, most of the problem we go through is actually being forgetful. So mindfulness itself, it means to remember. So a modern psychologist even talked about this repression is actually pervades all other defense mechanisms because it's about forgetful and pushing away things. So this is a major one. So now we go to the second one. The second is called aggression, hmm? being aggressive. This is assaulting uh, the sources of frustration, maybe the object of anger. So we are aggressive. That's a defense mechanism or oh, defensiveness. I don't know if it's uh, you have ever used it. Have you ever used this mechanism? Uh, it's very common. Uh, we can put it in a simple terms because it, it sounds so psychological. We can say maybe acting out. Acting out. So according to the Buddha, let's go to the, uh, to the Buddha here. He said that again, we we'll go to the second one. Again, when the bhikkhus are reproving a bhikkhu for an offense, he castigates it. I mean, he castigates the reprover himself. What right does an incompetent fool like you have to speak? <laughs> Can you imagine a bhikkhu telling another bhikkhu like this? <laughs> have you ever been to a monastery? <laughs> It looks so calm and mellow. <laughs> but he's a fellow bhikkhu say, what right does an incompetent fool like you have to speak? Hmm? Do you really think you have something to say? Aggressiveness. I, the Buddha said, I say this person is similar to the wild cult that when told go forward, and when spurred and incited by its trainer, leaps back and thereby damages the rail and breaks the triple pole. There is such a kind of a person here like a wild cult. This is the second fault of a person. Now, with this kind of uh, uh, background of this discourse, Maybe we can relate to it very well. In the course of our meditation, so many things happen. But maybe not on this retreat, but I heard that many years ago, IMS had a problem with the windows, especially when the weather changes. Sometimes, some yogis wanted it cool. And some yogis from Uganda, I think so, <laughs> like it hot. Can you imagine 12 of you sitting there, one yogi from Uganda and another one from 
Finland or which country is a little bit cold? Iceland, I've been to Iceland. Yeah, I've been to Finland, a little bit cold. No, no, I'm not saying, okay, Australia, Sally, Sally. <laughs> yes, we have to find some cold places. So now you're sitting the window, another yogi wants it up, open, another one wants it down. What's going to go? What's going to go around? You're all meditating very well, but you see somebody opening that window. Eh? I'm telling you, all the techniques you've learned about mindfulness can go in a window. I'm telling you. So you can act out, actually. You can really act out and slam it, you know. I mean, you're a very good yogi. You're not doing this thing. I'm just giving some kind of imagination. But this has been here, actually, by the way. The example about the window, <laughs> I don't know, you can tell, maybe things now are different, but there used to be a little bit of war, not a war, but a conflict regarding those windows, I'm telling you. Now it's not there, but I'm telling you, it used to be here, <laughs> there, everywhere. So this is very common, trying to assault the source of frustration, right? Of course, there was, there was no blows, but um, I, I know it was unpleasant. Mm? And people forgot to not unpleasant, unpleasant, unpleasant. <laughs> <laughs> now, you could actually do a few things to deal with these things of being aware of aggressiveness. You can be aware of it itself. Then, of course, right mindfulness also helps. Metta, loving kindness, it helps. Oh, poor thing is coming from hot place. L maybe needs a little bit of <laughs> help. <laughs> so, have meta. I told you last time, eh? it's better with meta always. So, if there's some things coming out, you know, and you feel a little bit of aggressiveness and you are frustrated because you cannot really talk to somebody, so you try to practice meta. What I found out whenever there's a, 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 a kind of urge to impulse to deal with the uh, unpleasant stuff with the, when I see the object, uh, somebody who caused the problem, uh, I found out this teaching is very helpful since Guy gave a talk on the five aggregates. This teaching is very, very helpful. When you are angry with somebody, ask yourself, which aggregate are you angry with? Is it the form? Is it feelings? Am I angry with their perception? But since the guy, guy told us, according to the Buddha also, that actually those five aggregates, there is no self. Eh? Those five aggregates are non-self. Then, you find out you are angry with non-self, not with the self, <laughs> because <laughs> so a little bit of uh, theoretical understanding of uh, Buddhism helps a little bit. It takes you a long way. Okay, you are angry with who? With the nose, <laughs> with the eyes, with the hair. That's that is thirty-two parts of the body. This teaching is not from this Ugandan monk actually. This teaching is from. Uh, uh, what you call Visuddhimagga. Visuddhimagga, the path of purification. 
this is called uh, uh, a book by a monk called Venerable Bodagosa Visudimaga. It's a very beautiful book as a commentary. I think this is his PhD, I think. It's a beautiful book. It's a book for meditators, written by a meditator. And this is the instruction he gave, that next time you get angry with somebody, instead of attacking the person or uh, look at them, rolling your eyes and all that, eh? <laughs> rolling your eyes and giving them an every non-so-nice look, you know, so just ask yourself this question. Are you angry with consciousness? Are you angry with perception? So when you go through those, I'm telling you, your anger will go out of the window. This reminds me of a, actually a Russian uh, proverb which says that when you get angry with somebody, roll, keep on rolling your tongue 11 times. You, hmm? <laughs> 11 times. My friend, I tried it. It works. <laughs> you keep on rolling it because w when you reach the th fifth time, sixth time, eight times, you forget about it. <laughs> Maybe you enjoy your saliva and <laughs> tongue. <laughs> you see, most of the time we get angry it's because actually we don't buy time. We don't have enough time. We go on autopilot. We go with our defense mechanism. Hmm? But here is allowing time. But the instruction you have already got here, actually it's the same. When anger rises, come back to the body. When you come back to the body, you give yourself time. I don't have time to talk about biology. This is already explained, uh, explained in biology. What we call... Uh, uh, what's called sympathetic nerve system and parasympathetic nerve system. So giving your time, buying time, actually allows you, allows the nervous system to go back to normal. This is already explained by biology. biology. So this works by asking questions. You know all the five aggregates. Hmm? You keep on asking. So we go to the third one. Oh, there's more to talk about acting out. There's also what you call acting in. <laughs> acting in, acting out, of course, is to others, but also this is a side information. It's not given in the discourse, but I just want to, for the sake of completeness, sometimes we're aggressive towards ourselves, right? That's called acting in. Uh, it can be guilt, it can be remorse, it can be self-blame. This is very, very common. Hmm? Maybe in a retreat here, uh, maybe you are you're doing a yogi job and your fellow yogi, yogi is not cooperating and always doing the task slowly. Or, or maybe let me give another example. You sign up a, for a yogi job that you didn't like. What will happen? You start, oh, I would have come late at IMS during the open day and get maybe another job. So you start actually having this kind of remorse and guilt and all these things. So in the monastic tradition, there's something I want to share with you how we deal with remorse and guilt because we keep so many rules. And many, time, many times, 
the administration that that doesn't support your the way you keep them you know uh, traveling a lot many you go to countries where they they're not buddhist they don't know that you're a monk so you you are bound to encroach some of uh, on minor rules so now what do we do should we find out that there's a sense of remorse and sense of guilt what do we do we do four things uh, we acknowledge that's the first thing we acknowledge that we have done something unskillful so then the next stage we determine not to do the same thing again and then the third we amend not end amend according to the dharma either we take the precept again or we say sorry or whatever so we amend and then the fourth is do what is skillful do what's wholesome so I, I wanted to give that as a side side uh, information because in modern psychology we have even things like passive aggression where you don't take responsibility. But that's the side information. We go to the third one. The third one is called projection. Let us start from the Buddha himself. Again, when the bhikkhus are reproving a bhikkhu for an offense, he attributes an offense to the reprover himself, saying, you have committed such and such an offense. Make amends for it first. <laughs> is it ama is, it's amazing. He's a big to say, okay, uh, you first make your amends before you come to me. <laughs> yeah? Of course, the instruction the Buddha gave is that first, do you, uh, first learn your stuff uh, and uh, uh, before you actually reproach another person, that's the instruction we have even in monastic in monastic tradition. Before you go to reprove another bhikkhu, you make sure that you are you you are clean. <laughs> so now, no wonder this monk is saying, uh, "Make your amends first. Eh? You have you have also you have committed such a, and such an offense. Make amends for it first before you come to me." Uh, Buddha said like this, I say this person is similar to the wild cult uh, when told go forward and when sparred and incited by the, its trainer loses its tie from the chariot pole and crushes the chariot pole. There is such a kind of a person here like a wild cult this is the third fault of a person. This, in modern terms, we call it projection. This is a more of a, a person defending oneself against uh, one's uh, conscious qualities, whether positive or negative, by denying their existence in oneself while attributing them to others. This is very, very common during retreats. It, it takes the form of judging others. Hmm? Usually when we judge, we start judging others. Normally, or usually, it's this, these qualities we don't like in ourselves. I'm telling you, it's interesting. Usually, we judge others because they are doing something we don't like ourselves. 
Do you believe it? Do you agree? Let me tell you, maybe I start with an example. As a lay person, I, I went to school, in a boarding school, and they taught us that you have to be smart. Hmm? Combing hair, uniform, and when you are not smart, the teachers will say, no, 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 you are not allowed to go for a parade or something like that. Even in day schools, always smartness was very important. Now, when I became a monk, first time in 2001, in 2001 in California, San Jose, I ordained as a monk, and I was given these robes. These robes were not easy to put on. I'm telling you, these robes, it's not a dress. It's like a bed sheet. I'm telling you. So you have to wrap it around yourself. You have to wrap it around, around yourself. I'm telling you, you think you practice mindfulness? I'm telling you, put on this, it keeps on falling apart. And you don't want to do it in public. First five days, guy is smiling and he knows. <laughs> guy has been a monk for one year. I think Guy can relate to it. I think there's also a person who has been a nun, I think, I don't know. Background has been a nun. Anyway, this is different. Eh? So now, every time I was so disappointed with this thing falling off, you have to be mindful to keep here like this. Be mindful, you know. It will fall apart when you just ordain. Uh, there's even the tie of full robe, you know, you go to the public, always you are so worried that if this thing fall apart. <laughs> you haven't seen me tying it around because we, we usually do that when going out. This is even terrible. This is okay. But going out, you tie it, you go out, I'm telling you every time you are, your arm is like this so that this thing doesn't fall off. <laughs> now, I got the trick how to tie it together. But that, when I got to learn it, that became my judgment when I see monks who don't, know, who don't do it properly. <laughs> I start judging other monks. I mean, there's not much to do in a monastery. There's no TV, nothing. <laughs> not a lot, actually. <laughs> you can sit. I'm telling you, I was so preoccupied because I didn't want this robe to go off. So whenever I go to a monastery, a monastery, the first thing is to look at the monk whose robe is going down, <laughs> whose robe is uneven. Ah, so. so and I, I was struggling with judgment when I just my first two years. I said, "What did I become a monk to judge others?" I start to ask these questions. Am I here to judge others or to attain liberation? I found out actually I'm here <laughs> to, to, to attain liberation. <laughs> I don't know if I can finish this. <laughs> we are only, only three. <laughs> we have only <laughs> Maybe I'll break it apart because this is very, very interesting. Now, I kept on, I would just see the monk, and sometimes the monk would be senior than me, and I look at his, how his robe is uneven, and how he's falling off, 
that's where I learned that actually when I judge others, it's because I don't like this behavior in me. And that's why I judge others. Here are the solutions I came up with. I am sharing with you hmm? the around six of them. Hmm? This is from my practice and consolidating Buddha's teaching, okay? The first one is MYB, mind your business. worked. <laughs> Every time I would say monk with the robes going down like this and sometimes stepping in a robe, I would say, mind your business. Mind your business. Mind your business. You came here to liberate yourself. You came all the way to Uganda, from Uganda to gain liberation. Not to judge monks, you know. <laughs> it worked. You can use it next time you say yogis walking slowly or too fast. You can use it in a way. It's, I have no copyrights on this one. Another one which is very helpful. Non-judgment day is near. <laughs> Non-judgment day is here. Not near. <laughs> it's here. You know, I was born in Uganda, it's a Christian country, so I learn about judgment day is coming, you know? <laughs> it's near. So what I do is just play with it, you know. Non-judgment day is here. That also worked. Another one, is maybe you can use some teaching by Annie, it's called Reflection on the Law of Karma. You gave a talk, I think, on that. That's my karma. If I put on the robe so smartly, very good, it's my karma. <laughs> if others put it badly, that's their karma. It has nothing to do with me. That's kind of also mind your business, actually. <laughs> because, I mean, what if they put on the robe in a bad way, not smart, it's not going to affect my karma. So reflection on love karma also helps. Hmm? Also, it's very helpful. I'm not going to talk about karma. I think she did a good job. Hmm? Now, another one also works. If you have a judgmental mind, is projecting others, because you, you don't want to eat too fast and others are eating too fast. These things happen actually in a retreat here. So another one which is very helpful. Reflect on your faults first. Hmm? Have you never done anything wrong you do of course many things wrong you know why are you are you why are you a fault found finder hmm? trying to find out what people are doing wrong this to me happened uh, when i was uh, in Burma in 2003 i was meditating in uh, for two months with Saido Pandita in, uh, in Burma. And then uh, this is a big retreat at the end of the year. Bring monks and nuns and lay people for two months. It's wonderful. So they taught us how to do walking meditation. And I started doing walking meditation. Lifting, blue moving, placing. 
and I had done, of course, already walking meditation in, my, in our monastery in San Jose, California. So all of a sudden, I saw a monk coming close to me, and he was taking pictures. With these cameras, these digital cameras, he was taking pictures of, of my steps, lifting, moving, placing. And he was taking pictures. I say, we are not supposed to do this. We are not supposed to take pictures. The monk took all these pictures. And I was wondering, what did I do wrong? <laughs> and this monk took the pictures. So during uh, evening time, monks, we don't do dinner. We give it to all other people out of compassion. <laughs> we save that for other people. So we go for juice, though. We take juice. And evening, all monastics will sit together and take juice. And that's when the monk pulled out a camera and said, no, you are doing wrong. You, you should not walk like that. You see, he didn't mind his business. <laughs> so he said, you should walk like this. He started running back the, all the pictures, showing me exactly how my foot was rising and it was not going forward properly like this. Amazing what yogis go through. He was judging my walking. I thought I was doing it well. I mean, I went to Burma after longer retreats, two, three months here, one month and a half at Forest Refuge. And uh, I've done retreats and knew how to walk. <laughs> Guess yogi mind. <laughs> so, look at what you are doing. I think he was not doing it right. <laughs> but he actually, because he wanted to do it right, he doesn't want to go wrong, and he thought I'm doing it wrong, and he took pictures. So that's very interesting. Okay, first find out what you're doing wrong before you go to others. Hmm? That also works. Another one is uh, more of a discernment, right? Judgmental mind is a, a mind, we call it judging mind, you become a judge, you know, here, hmm? you judge others, you call it judging mind, so what if you actually shift your understanding to what we call judicious, you see to be judicious is not the same as being to be judgmental, judicious is more of discernment, you need some wisdom, and understanding to be judicious. So you want to be judicious, but not judgmental. Just a thought. With judgmental, we are acting on our prejudices. Hmm? With judiciousness, we are, bringing, we are bringing in wisdom to discern what's skillful and unskillful. That's the difference. Finally, guess what? Mindfulness, judging. Whenever judgment comes, judging. Judging, judging, not so loud, no. <laughs> and not so heavy, judging, 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 no. A soft mental nod, mm, this is my judging mind, judging, judging, that works. I'm not going through all these techniques because I think you've had enough techniques. I'm not going to go through all this, you know what to do. So we go to the next one. The next one is... Uh, um, let's see what's the next one. The next one is uh, 
also very interesting. Very interesting. Ah, maybe not so common. Number four. Maybe we should stop there because uh, we should know properly these things, how we caught up in a fence. Right? Okay, the next one is called regression, regressing. Hmm? This is a person in a frustrating situation, acts, acts in an immature, outworn manner. Hmm? This is how they define this. But let's go to the Buddha. The Buddha talks about number four, which is regression. Again, when the bhikkhus are reproaching a bhikkhu for an offense, he answers this. He answers it. He answers ev evasively. Hmm? Ev evasively or evasively. You know, there's Ugandan English and English English, New Zealand English, Australian English, South African English. I don't know. <laughs> okay, evasively. Okay, evasively uh, diverts the di diverts the discussion to an irrelevant subject and displays anger, hatred, and bitterness. I say this person is similar to a wild cult. When told, go forward, and when spurred and incited by its trainer, takes a wrong path and leads the chariot, or chariot off the track. There is such a, a kind of person here, uh, like a wild cult. This is the fourth person. This is the fourth fault of a person. So you can get the idea. The simile. Eh? <laughs> the simile is amazing. It tells, it, tells you, it tells you exactly what goes when there's what we call re regression. I have an example for you. In 2002, 2002, I went to West Virginia. West Virginia. Let me be an American. Yeah? West Virginia. <laughs> and I stayed there for eight years. One good day, I was working with Bante Gunaratana, my teacher. And we were walking after lunch. Suddenly, we had the noise of a car driving very, very fast. These are teenagers driving in these roads in West Virginia. It's very wild and all that. They don't expect people. So they were, they were, the, the kids were driving very, very, very fast. And then the car starts swerving like this, like this. They hit the pavement. When they hit the pavement, they came out. Of course, the car was dented and a little bit wrecked. The kids came out of the car. We, we are very close, actually. We just missed the car, actually. We are very close them, to them. They come out of the car and they start kicking the car. I couldn't believe what I was seeing, actually. For me, there's nothing fascinating to see people kicking an inanimate object. 
It's fascinating for me. I thought this was the end. They kicked the car and then who's going to get pain? I mean, let us ask ourselves. <laughs> and the car has not done nothing. <laughs> they are the ones who are driving very fast. I saw this with my eyes. These were teenagers. Few years ago, I went to Australia to spend my wasa there, three months. I've been there many times spending my wasa for rain retreat. And then I teach there and all that. So we had a girl, father's Australian and mother's Chinese. This girl has a bunch of anger. This girl is so sweet, but when she gets angry, she really get really angry. One time she got angry. We are walking, going to Denanong Park. Or no. These are wonderful, beautiful places in Melbourne. They want to take me out. One, girl, one time this girl started raging and got so angry and started kicking the father. I thought that's... I mean, I mean I've never seen it actually in Africa, but... Uh, it reminded me of the teenagers who were driving the car, kicking the car. I thought that was the end. But one time, I came back to the temple, uh, Buddhist Society of Victoria. I started doing my walk. One time, I was walking in a town, and the girl was driving, uh, uh, cycling, bicycling, this kid's bike, eh? the small one. Eh? And then, all of a sudden, she, she kind of nearly fell. I think she, was got, she got disappointed with her bike, bicycle. The girl didn't fall down, but she started kicking this bicycle. It's exactly, exactly classic example hmm, of acting in a, like child, childlike behavior. You know? Because the, the, for the child, that's okay. But for teenager, kicking your car... Because you have, <laughs> you've been driving it fast, this is a very classic example of frustration. When you're frustrated, you start doing things like child, you know. These child, child, children, they can kick their bicycle. I mean, but a, a grown-up person kicking your car, good luck. You're going to get pain. In fact, one time they were, they were kicking, vandalizing this uh, mailbox, and some of them were made of wood, and they, fe they, were, they were falling. But one time they were kicking this uh, mailbox, and it was made of iron. And they, when they kicked like this, talk about love karma, they were taken to the hospital. Anyway, that's another point, but uh, you got the idea. <laughs> you get the idea. Frustration, boredom, aversion, that's, that can be a frustration. And sometimes when we have a lot of frustration and boredom and all these things, and so we can maybe start maybe visiting refrigerator, going many times, <laughs> trying to remember when we were kids and trying to eat chocolate and all these things and all that. So we know what we do when there's this kind of frustration. We can regress, you know. So here we go. We are on four. There are eight. I think we're going to stop here. <laughs> I'll continue with the rest in the interest of time. But 
so far so much what I've covered, this is how to deal with them in general. I've told you how to do it specifically, but in general, allow what we call uh, the practice of mindfulness to lead you. Because some of them are unconscious, but some of them are conscious ways how we protect ourselves. Of course, protection is very good. But if it's, you are always going around the fence, like those turkeys, <laughs> you get restless. You get restless. So it's good to be mindful. I'm not going to talk more about We've, I think, had so much about mindfulness. Full understanding of what is to be known. Okay, this is maybe suppressing. Knowing that you are suppressing what's going on. Knowing that maybe you are going through judgment. Knowing, so you can note it also helps. But there's something that I really found out that is very helpful in general is to check in. This is the check in because you know already this mechanism we have uh, in general about fight, flight, and freeze, freezing. Hmm? So you've seen even dogs do, do that. When they face danger, they put their tail behind. Yeah? We know even animals do it. So we human being, beings, we know, of course. We've been doing this for many years. Um, uh, we, we either fight or flight or freeze. So we know this. So for me, what I do in order to address some of my de me defense mechanism or defensiveness or protection, what I do from time to time is to check in. What's my attitude? What's my attitude towards a certain uh, frustration? Am I, these are the questions I ask myself. Am I pushing them away? Am I indulging in them? Or am I ignoring them? I ask these three questions. These are very important. We call them uh, uh, reaction, the way we react to difficult situations. So what we need is to respond we need to respond instead of reacting. Reaction is more of autopilot, acting on autopilot. But responding is more of understanding, is more uh, understanding with wisdom and not on auto, auto, autopilot. The third one is of course you know how to investigate according to Anicca Doka using rain and rain this R R A I N already Sally mentioned about that so you can do all, all, all those things but what I found out also also very helpful which is given in in, in Buddhist lit literature is about full understanding through abandoning abandoning the notion of I, me, mine, myself. Because there is always an identification whenever these strong emotions come, whenever difficult situations come, we identify ourselves with, with these difficult situations. You know Insight Meditation Society? IMS. You know it. This is called IMS. <laughs> I. We call it eye-making, mind-making, self-making. 
eye making is what we call conceit. Mana. Mana literally means measuring. Eye. You did eye this. Eye, 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 eye. Always eye, eye, eye. You know? That's why we have iPhone. <laughs> now soon we are going to have eye robes. <laughs> Mine. Mine is craving. Mine is, we call it in Buddhism, craving. If you always mine, mine, my anger, my judgment, my this, you're craving. And now self is, S stands for self. That means wrong views. When you think that self, you better have non-self. That's why monks, we do non-self service. Self-service? No, I don't. I, I do non-self-service. Did you mean going? You see me going there. <laughs> I'm not serving myself. <laughs> non-self. <laughs> now, non-self-service. If you remember this, IMS, you have to do the opposite. Not I, not mine, not self. I leave that for your reflection. Thank you very much. <laughs> If you abandon this, there's a, a staff here, staff person here, he put that in his office. And it, it always, it reminds me a lot. I am what I am with, not I, not mine, not myself, not, not self. If you remember this, nothing will go wrong. Let us sit for a moment or two. I will complete the rest of four defenses next time. Thank you very much. Let us sit for a moment. I offer this for your reflection. Thank you very much for listening. Sadhu, sadhu. Stay tuned for the rest of the four. <laughs>